All right. Hello. My name is Brian, like Yuna said. Um, yeah, I have just as many good things to say about her. She's just an amazing woman of God. And seeing her take over this campus and really plant the seeds here, really, it's really, um, what's the word? It's really encouraging. It's really encouraging to see it, how much Eunice has grown as well, because six years ago, she wasn't the same person she was today. Definitely not. Though she still, you know, has all, all the same quirks, I would say. <laughs> she's always, you know, I think one of her best qualities is that she's always so positive. We were just talking about this earlier, but she knows how to see things through God's eyes, to see kind of the gold, you know, in the situation and in the people that she's ministering to. So you guys are really lucky to have her as your campus director. All right. And all your other staff are amazing, too. Man, I've got a lot of stories about them, at least the ones I know. But yeah, I've been in Korea since 2008. I graduated college in May. And then on a Wednesday, and that following Monday, I was in Korea, and I've been here since then. And so it's been quite a journey. I've definitely changed a lot. Uh, I think Eunice can say my fashion sense has changed a lot. I used to believe in just wearing T-shirts and shorts. You know, it didn't really matter when it was. So I used to lead worship at the church in T-shirt and shorts. But uh, I got married, so that had to change. You guys get, you know, brothers, when you get married... That will change. All right. So today's word is, so if you guys have your Bibles, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 24 to 26. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 24 to 26. And before I read that out, let me open us up with a word of prayer. All right, dear Jesus, I thank you so much what you're doing in this campus. I thank you, Lord, that you're just starting an amazing work, that you're calling these mighty warriors. Yeah, you're calling them mighty warriors even right now. And I thank you, Lord, that you are moving in Korea, that you're moving in Seoul, that you're moving at Koryode as well. And we just come into agreement with what you're doing here. We pray against all spirits of distraction, and we just declare, may your word go fruit go forth. And we declare, Lord, that your word never comes back empty. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. All right, let me read this verse, or these verses out for us. But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, so, yeah, my heart really is for this campus and for Emmaus and for the college students. Back in 2008 to 2009, I was actually staff when Emmaus was YICF, Yonsei International Christian Fellowship. And then 2009, while I was on staff, it changed to become Emmaus. But when we started, or when I first became staff, it was actually probably the same size as you guys. And since then, it's, yeah, it's grown huge. And now to three campuses, 
and now to three campuses around Seoul. So it's really encouraging to see that you guys are the fruit of the prayers that me and my fellow staff sowed in back then. And just to see God answer when we didn't really see anything. We went through like two or three seasons where we saw very little fruit, or it was really hard to see. But now when I, you know, when I hear the testimonies, it's insane. It really is crazy because a lot of the testimonies are actually from former students that I had. And I'm like, what the heck? Where was this fruit when, you know, when you guys were students? But, you know, God is, you know, you can plant the seeds, but it might take a long time, and you never know where your prayers are going. All right, so just a little bit about me. Um, I'm, as Yuna said, I'm married. My my amazing wife couldn't make it tonight. She's working really hard. She's, she's kind of my sugar mama, and so, you know, she's making really good money and helping us pay down our college loans. But, uh, yeah, she really wanted to be here. But she really wanted to be here tonight, but uh, she, yeah, she is probably just finishing up work now. And on top of that, I'm working as, uh, I work as a computer programmer or web developer uh, for a company here called The Celebrity. It's actually a magazine. I don't know if you've seen it in the stands, but I work on web development and the internal apps that we use. But I also don't know, I never get to meet celebrities, <laughs> in case you're wondering. And even if I did, if like, I don't know any celebrity names, but if the celebrity walked into the room, I probably wouldn't know them. I know almost nothing about celebrities, though my wife has recently started making me watch Korean dramas. So I watch it, but I know them by their drama names. So whenever I see like the name on the covers, I don't know it because I'll just know them by like what they're called in the drama. And so like I'll come home and I'll be like, oh, the next cover issue is this person. And I'm like, who is that? And then she's like, you don't know who that is. And she'll just shake her head at me. But it really is by the grace of God that I have uh, the job that I have. Um, I've been here for at the company for almost eight months now. And funny thing is I only started programming about a year ago. That's when I started learning it. And so God just supernaturally just took me through a bunch of different things, and I was able to get the job right away. And so if you want to hear about that, it's in another message. <laughs> podcast, podcast. But it really was the hand of God that brought it. It was you know, some crazy stuff when you trust God with things that don't make sense. You know, God uses the foolish to shame the wise. <laughs> All right, so let me get going with the sermon. So while I was prepping, um, I had a lot of ideas. I was like, should I talk about Benaniah, the mighty men of God? Should I talk about Daniel and the spirit of excellence? Should I talk about the favor of God? Because I feel like I've really experienced that favor in the last year. But as I was praying as I was and talking with my wife, you know, and I was also thinking, you know, if I was in college, what message would I want to hear? And what message would I have been receptive to hear? Because I know I could preach a lot of things, but maybe my former self in college would not have really wanted to hear those things. And so I was like, my first thought was, you know, telling myself, don't worry so much about getting married, it'll be fine. <laughs> but then I think myself back then wouldn't have really listened. But I don't know. So as I prayed about it more... Um, the word that God really pressed on my heart was conviction and redefining what conviction is. And so repeat after me. I'm going to get convicted today. today. Alright. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Because I think what Christians need to do in the world today is we need to take back the word conviction. When we hear the word conviction in the context of the church, it's almost always kind of a bad thing. 
you know, you can think of it pretty much, you know, even when I said, I'm going to get, when you guys said, I'm going to get convicted today, you kind of hesitated in your head. It's like, do I want to get convicted? Do I want to get convicted of this sin that I have been holding on to my whole life? Do I want to get convicted of where God wants me to change? And that's kind of the connotation that conviction carries. You know, it's often in the church context, the conviction of sin. All right, and we think conviction as in getting convicted of a crime. Um, the dictionary defines it as the act or process of finding a person guilty of a crime. And we probably think, you know, when I said the different things that we're doing wrong in our lives, the different things that God needs to convict us of. And, you know, maybe there was that little feeling of dread about conviction. Or maybe you're still feeling that dread about conviction. But, you know, when we hear a good sermon and when we say something like, I feel so convicted, you know, the pastor preaches about forgiving, about gossip, about lust, you know, about all these different things. We often react by saying, I feel so convicted, I need to repent. And that's really kind of what we think conviction needs to lead to repentance. But what I want to say today is that, yes, God does want to convict you, but not in the way that you're thinking about what conviction is. So I think the way that we view today's scripture will kind of shed a little bit of light on what conviction actually is. So let me just read that again. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider walks into the room, you know, into the revival meeting or wherever, he is convicted by all. He's called to account by all and the secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. It's really interesting because when we read this verse, we can kind of imagine the scene playing out in our heads. It's like, you can imagine like a very charismatic meeting, you know, a big gathering and like all these pastors on the stage, you know, maybe they do a giant altar call and someone like, you know, just a random guy who's not a Christian is walking by and he feels led to go into the service and then he gets called up in front of the crowd and the pastor's like, you, you know, stand right here. And he calls them up and they walk up and he's like, it's like, I feel like God is saying you're having an extramarital affair. You know, I feel like God is saying, you've been struggling with this. I feel like God is saying, you've been, you know, whatever sin is in his life. And like, he's like reading his mail pretty much and exposing all this bad stuff. You know, that's kind of the picture that some of us think when we think about that. All right. And I think for that guy, that kind of sounds like a nightmare. (laughs) It's not a position that you guys want to be in. And maybe like oftentimes when a pastor is about to do the altar call, you guys like, You know, kind of look away. It's like, don't call me. I don't want to come up. I don't want everyone to know my business. And that's kind of the reaction that we have. But it's really interesting when we continue to read this. Because let's say the guy does come up and I just reveal that he's been sleeping around with, like, his brother's girlfriend or something. You know, something really bad. (laughs) You know, if he's a non-Christian, maybe there's like a few different reactions that are possible, right? One is he just gets disgusted and runs out of the room. Another is maybe, you know, God is genuinely moving in his heart. And so he's like, you're telling the truth. I am. I'm a sinner. And he just starts like crying and bawling and he falls to the floor and he's repenting before God. You know, maybe that's, you know, maybe one of, the, one of those two things happens, Right. But what we see in this story is, it says in verse 25, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. I don't see that guy on the ground saying, thank you guys so much. God is really among you. I worship him right now. That's, that just doesn't seem 
to me like the reaction that he's supposed to have when all of a sudden he's been convicted of all his sin. That's really not the reaction that you get. You know, oftentimes when you're convicted of sin, it's repentance that will come up, right? And that guy on the floor was not repenting. He was worshiping God, you know, with everything. He was crying. He was bawling. And he was just saying, God, you're so good. And so how do we reconcile what happened with this scripture? And so I think the key to understanding this scripture and that verse is looking at verse 26. And I know in some of your Bibles, that's like in a separate chapter. So it's kind of like illegal to take from that. But no, it's okay. You know, those chapters were put in arbitrarily and it still kind of flows as one thing. So before we redefine conviction, uh, I'm going to try to redefine another word, prophecy. For some of you, you might think prophecy, Old Testament, you know, these prophets, what it's about is, you know, when you prophesy, it's, Telling what's going to happen in the future. You're like, oh, I kind of want that gift. And I, I know who I'm going to marry. I know what kind of job I'm going to get. I know if the Knicks are going to win and make the playoffs, which I don't think they are. Anyway, I know what's going to happen. And that's great. You know, and that's what we think the prophetic is. It's telling the future. But I kind of want to redefine that today because when we think of it as just predicting the future, we're really limiting and not getting the scope of what prophecy is as a gift. Now, I don't know what you guys all think about prophesying, but uh, you know, 1 Corinthians earlier in chapter 14, verse 1, it says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. All right, pursue love. All right, and the way to pursue love, you earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially to prophesy. So we can see that it's clearly scriptural, that it has a lot to do with love. A way to pursue love, a way to show love, is to be able to prophesy. All right? Not a complete connection, but, you know, there's a, definitely a correlation over there. And so, more than anything, I want to say the prophetic is a tool to help us love and build up the church. All right? The prophetic is a tool to help us love and to build up the church. That's it. You know, and it can be as simple as saying, God loves you. You know, when Susanna was leading prayer before, you know, so powerfully, when she was saying, just say over yourself, God loves you, what you're actually doing over yourself is you're prophesying over yourself that God loves you. Because for a lot of you guys, that's a hard truth to get. But when you prophesy that over yourself, all right, you're encouraging yourself you're building yourself up and you're allowing god to love you and call out that he loves you in that way and so that last verse oops where'd it go all right it says you know what then brothers this is verse 26 what then brothers when you come together each one has a hymn a lesson a revelation a tongue or an interpretation and then he says, the Apostle Paul says, let all things be done for building up. Let all things be done for building up. So when we talk about spiritual gifts, when we talk about prophesying, it's done for the purpose of building up or for edifying the church. And so a lot of times, you know, I would say if God gives you a prophetic word or God gives you an impression and you speak it out or you think about it and you realize this is not going to be encouraging to that person, then you don't say it to that person because it's not encouraging. You know, the golden rule to test whether you should give that 
word to someone is, is it going to encourage that person? Is it going to edify that person? Is it going to build up that person? Because the prophetic or the spiritual gifts are used solely for that purpose of building up the church. So if God gives you that word and it's not going to build them up, what he wants you to do is to pray over that person. All right, pray for him in your secret place. And then, yeah, pray for him. Pray for that person and you're going to see God move because God doesn't give you that impression for no reason at all. And so, like I said, it can be as simple as saying God loves you. And so there was a, a missionary to Mozambique. Her name was Heidi Baker. And she tells a story about, and she, Mozambique is one of the poorest countries in the world, literally just one of the poorest countries in the world. And so there's all these orphans, there's all these kids on the street, and they don't have enough to eat. You know, and they don't, and a lot of them are diseased. They don't have the ability to see a doctor. And so Heidi Baker, she, she was there, and she was doing some amazing works. She's really seen the power of God poured out. But one season, as she was praying over people, you know, God usually gave her a lot of words to tell them, a lot of sermons to preach. But during one season of her ministry there, you know, she was explaining, the only thing God told her to say was, God loves you. That was the only thing God told her to say, God loves you. And so she ministered to all these people, and, you know, the only thing she would she could say, because the only thing God allowed her to say was, God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. It was amazing because she said that was one of the most powerful seasons of ministry she's ever experienced. Something such a simple truth. When it's said with the power of God, it really was a prophetic word to them that God loves them. It really brought them to a place for them to realize that God's love was tangible and God's love was real. You know, when someone prophesies, they build up that person. So Judges 6.12, I'm going to give you guys an example of prophecy. Judges 6.12, you guys don't have to turn there. This is the story of Gideon. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. You know, at the time, let's be very clear about this. Gideon was not a mighty man of valor. He was hiding out. He was scared. He was desperate. He was depressed. And he was very doubtful about what God could do in his life. So when the angel came to him and told him he was a mighty man of valor, he was just like, what are you talking about? I am not a mighty man of valor. I'm just doing my thing, and that's fine with me. I'm not called to do anything else. Get away from me. But as God persisted, and even as Gideon kept on doubting, we could see that prophetic word that he was a mighty man of valor really starting to take hold in his life. And so when God gives you a word like you're a mighty warrior and you don't feel it, you know, God's not just making stuff out of the air, but we serve a God who is the alpha, the omega. He sees the beginning and he sees the end. And he sees the beginning of when you started your life, but he also sees what you become. And when he looked at Gideon, he didn't see just this poor farmer what he saw was a mighty man of God. He saw a mighty warrior. And so when God sees that, he calls it out. Even if it sounds unbelievable, he's going to call it out. And so the prophetic word, you're a mighty man of valor, that's what it took for Gideon, you know, the repetitive, you know, repeated several times, but that's what it took for Gideon to recognize God's voice and to recognize that God was telling the truth. Yeah. So what prophecy essentially is, 
Again, it's a tool to build up the church. All right, so let's go back. You know, now that we kind of know what prophesying is, let's go back to that scene. You know, at the end of it, I'm sorry, my notes are kind of all over the place. But at the end of that scene, we see, you know, it says that the man fell down in worship. He fell down in worship. So I want to give you guys kind of another interpretation, you know, and what I think really happened in that scene in 1 Corinthians 14. You know, like I said before, we, we have a man. He just came in off the street. And, he, you know, he might be an unbeliever. He might be someone who's just really backslidden. And he comes into the church, and the elders of the church see him. And, you know, this man, he might be depressed. He might be going through a lot of struggles. But when the elders of the church, when the pastor, whoever it was, when they saw this man, what they saw was not, the, not someone who was depressed. They didn't see someone who was struggling. But they saw someone who was mighty. They saw someone who God, you know, they saw him through God's eyes. And so when they saw him and they called him forth, they didn't expose his sin in front of everyone. But what they did was they said, God has called you to be a mighty man. He has amazing plans for your life. He wants to use you to change the nations. He wants to use you to move on Korea Korea University campus. He wants to set you apart. He wants to build you up in purity. He wants to take you to the next level. When he heard these things, they resonated so deeply in his heart that the only response that he could have was to fall down crying and worshiping the Lord. That was the only response he could have because he realized so clearly that those words were true. That those words defined who he was. That it wasn't his depression. It wasn't his alcoholism. It wasn't whatever it was that was troubling him. But it was God's words that told him he was a mighty man of valor. And so when it says here that he was convicted, all right, when it says he was convicted, it wasn't that he was convicted of his sin, but it was, it was that he was convicted of who he really was. All right, when we define conviction... Right, conviction isn't being convicted of all the crap that we have, all, right, all the dirt that's inside our hearts. But conviction is when God shows you who you're supposed to be, when God shows you that you're called to more, and when God shows you that you're beautiful, and when God tells you it doesn't matter, and when God says, rise up, mighty warrior, because I have an amazing plan for you, and you're going to lead the people. All right, that's what true conviction is from God. Because when God convicts us, it's not to shame us. It's not to tell us we're not good enough. It's not to show us how much we need to change. But when God convicts us, it's to remind us of who we really are. God knows that when you realize who you are meant to be, and when you realize, you know, that person that God has called you to be, then you're free to become that person. Because until that point, you don't know for sure. And you doubt so easily who God has called you to be. And this reminds me, um, when I was in college, when I was a freshman in college, uh, I had just joined a campus ministry, not too different from this one. And actually, Pastor Christian was my staff that year. And so that's how I got to know him way back in 2000. And it's 12 years ago. No, like 10 years ago, 11 years ago. 
Yeah, that's when I first met Pastor Christian. He was my staff during college. Yeah, 10 years ago, 2004, when I was a freshman. He was the staff of my college ministry. And so, you know, and I, I, I see how much he's changed throughout the years. You get, some of you guys think he's really rough around the edges now. Imagine 10 years ago. I have a lot of funny stories that I really will not share because we cover the nakedness of our father. But I remember uh, freshman year, I was in a small group, and my small group leader, Will, he was a worship leader at the time, and I had just joined the worship team, and I was playing the bass guitar. And, you know, I wasn't particularly good. I see a G, I play G, D, E minor, C. It's about the only four chords you need to know. Four notes, not even chords. I couldn't tell you back then that, you know, G is actually G, B, and D. You know, you had the full chord. But back then, I saw G, and I played a G. And that's all I knew. And so they, they were really in desperate need of a bassist. And so they're like, can you play these notes? And I was like, I think so. And so that's how I started on the worship team. And if you guys know my background, um, it has nothing to do with music. I'm actually a huge nerd. You know, I love... Right? Any, any other nerds in here? James, raise the hands. All right? Be proud of being a nerd. It's not a bad thing. All right? We're the ones that are going to take over the world, okay? And, and Christians too, okay? Maybe the nerdy Christians. There we go. I'll start opening up some crazy businesses. And, anyway. And so music was never in my paradigm. Uh, I, I actually did not like music at all. And so I grew up my whole life with my mom telling me that I couldn't do music. And it was because my mom liked music, and she tried to force music on me and my brother. And, you know, it was really incompatible. <laughs> so she tried to make me and my brother take piano lessons when we were in second grade. So we took piano lessons, and we took it for like a few months. I have a twin brother, by the way. But, uh, you know, me and my twin brother, we took piano lessons for like three months. And every time, uh, I think it was like Tuesday at 5 o'clock when we had our lesson, we would hide somewhere in the house right before the lesson. So my mom would have to go around the house and find me and my brother and then take us to the piano lesson. This happened every single week. And one week, me and my brother went hiding somewhere, and we waited, and we waited, and we waited, and it was about 30 minutes, and that was, and we never took another piano lesson. My mom just gave up on that. <laughs> oh, man. But uh, music was nowhere in my paradigm. I never grew up singing. I never grew up, you know, really playing an instrument. And so, you know, playing bass was kind of the maximum limit of my musicality. And so I remember that, you know, I think it was in the fall, but my small group leader, Will, who was also the worship team leader, was like, Brian, I think, you know, God wants to use you as the worship team leader. I think God wants to use you. And it's so funny because I had actually received another word from someone saying, God wants to, oh no, it wasn't a word, but it was, it was like a vision. God, someone told me like, I see you leading worship in front of hundreds. And, you know, my reaction was, get away from me. <laughs> You're so weird. Why would you say that? And so, you know, when Will, my small group leader, asked me to become the next worship leader, I said, no way. And I just denied him flat out. It's so funny because it was only a few weeks after that that I went to a retreat. And I was going to, a, and I was at a seminar. And then I heard the voice of God so clearly. It's the convicting voice of the Lord. It's just 
Why do you not believe in yourself? Why do you not believe in yourself? Why do you think you can't do this? I've called you. You know, I've called you to this. And so I will make a way. And when I heard that, I felt so convicted that that day, or, you know, when I got back home from the retreat, I went out to Sam Ash and I bought a guitar. <laughs> and that's when I started learning guitar uh, on my own. And there was a supernatural grace over it. And it was just, I don't know, I had never, I had so much difficulty with music, you know, and I'm not saying that as soon as that prophetic word went out and all of a sudden I could, you know, play like Sung Ha Jung, that little guitarist who's <laughs> unbelievable. He's so old now. But like, I remember watching his videos when he was six, but now he's like six feet tall. And so, but, you know, it wasn't like that, but there was a shift in me. There was a shift inside of who I was where I thought, God, if you've called me to this, you know, maybe I can do it. And I started believing in that word that, you know, people had given me. And so my sophomore year, I think my sophomore year, I took over as worship leader, having only been doing music for less than a year. And I just, I remember that first time leading worship and being so nervous and having the worst practice imaginable, where that was like just a complete disaster. <laughs> and thinking right before the service was supposed to start, I just went into like this random practice room because we were meeting in a campus and there were like music practice rooms. So I just went into one that was, that was open, I turned the lights off and I was just there and I just like laid down. And I was like, what am I doing? And God was, and God reminded me again there and he was like, I've called you. And I still remember leading worship for the first time ever because I remember what it, it, what it felt like was it felt like an out-of-body experience. It felt like I was in the back of the room just watching myself lead worship. And I felt like the voice of the Lord was telling me, you don't have to do any of this. It's just me. And so it was, it was such a humbling experience because I realized, you know, God doesn't call the equipped. He doesn't call the people who are fully ready. But he makes ready. He equips those who he calls. All right? He makes them ready because when he's called them, when that calling is on you, when that mark is on your life, God will make a way. There's no stopping it. When God had called Gideon and told him he was a mighty man of valor, there's nothing that could stop him. Even if there was just 300 of him and tens of thousands of the enemy, there's nothing that could stop you when God calls you out. It's so weird because God oftentimes, he calls you at your weakest place. At the place in my, in my life that I thought I was the weakest in music, that's where God called out and he said, music is not your weakness, but it's your strength and it's what I'm going to use to speak out to the nations. And I remember my senior year, you know, I remember that prophetic word that I would lead worship in front of hundreds. And every year on my campus, we have this event where all the Christian fellowships get together and they set up, um, they set up on the steps, the giant lawn in the front of campus. They set up a giant worship, they set up a worship team and they play worship for like three or four hours just during the middle of the day when the whole campus is there. And it's, it's the final event of our Jesus week that we have on campus. And I remember my senior year, you know, the fellowships got together, the leadership, and they said, Brian, do you want to lead worship for this event? And I was like, I don't know, something inside me. I don't think I cried, but I'll probably cry if I heard that now. <laughs> but uh, something inside of me just broke, and I was, you know, I was just so in awe. And I remember the journey that it took me to get there. And 
I remember leading worship, and there were hundreds of people gathered on the campus as we were praising and worshiping God. And I was like, God, this is only possible because of you. This is only possible because of you. There's no way I could have done this on my own. There's no way. There's no way. You know, God is a God who just really, he calls out, he calls out the gold inside of you that you don't even see. It's just amazing what he can do. Yeah, like I said before, oftentimes, you know, the areas where you are the weakest, all right, the areas where you are the weakest, that's oftentimes where God is saying, that's where your strength is. The reason is because Satan, he sees the strength. He sees, you know, what God has called you to be, and he does not want you to attain and reach that goal. All right, he sees the calling. Satan likes to destroy in infancy what he cannot defeat in adulthood or in maturity. He really does. And so it's amazing because some of you guys, the areas where you have no idea that you have strength, that's the area that God has called you, mighty warrior, come forth. Man, I really, you know, I'm praying right now. There's a fresh wave of conviction going across this room. You know, I think tonight we really need to take back what conviction means. Right, we need to take back that word because God wants to convict you guys tonight. Uh, I'm going to just transition into a time of prayer. I'm going to ask you guys to stand up.